Welcome to the Florence Crossroad Podcast. We're thrilled to share with you an exciting message from our weekend service. If you would like more information about who we are as a church and how to get involved, feel free to visit florencecrossroadag.org. We hope you have an amazing experience and a great week. It's amazing as we go over the financial reports and and look at what God has done last year, and we're on target to do a similar thing this year. For every $3 that we've taken in, we've given away a dollar. And uh, to missions, to our community, to a variety of areas. I thank God for that. Amen? Amen. And uh, it's just a wonderful thing to be able to do. I, uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's the birthday, maybe it's a lot of things, but this week as we were in prayer and Thinking about this morning, a thought came to my mind about the priorities, glasses and earphones and other assisting things just don't seem to work all together in one ear, and so some things are going to have to change. I don't like the way that guy sounds anyway. But in, in thinking about today, uh, the Lord just began to prompt me about some things that many years ago I set as a priority. And I, I have a question. Have you ever asked God to help you set priorities? It's one thing for us to set priorities, but it's a, a, it's a whole other matter when we invite the Lord to help us to establish priorities in our life priorities. I was a young pastor, a young father. Life was extremely frenetic and busy. We were watching God do some incredible things. Church was growing. We were expanding. We were building. And I was doing everything. At the expense of my children and my wife, I would get up early, early morning, and I would leave, and I would go to a ministry assignment. I would go to a building project. Many of those days, I would come home, and the kids were in bed because it was after dark. And there were days when I didn't see my children. And the Lord began to deal with me about that. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his family, lose his soul? And the Lord took me to the Word, and it's found in the book of Exodus chapter 18, and helped me to understand his priorities. I'm not going to tell you that I am the the, the picture of virtuous life. I'm not going to tell you that my life and my way is the best or that I am the best example. But I can tell you that when I set these priorities, God helped me as a husband, as a father, a grandfather, and as a pastor. And these principles, whether we're engaged in a leadership role, whether we have a business or not, whether we have influence over other people, these these principles work. They're priceless, timeless, and they know no 
no limit nor boundary to how they will impact those around us. In the book of Exodus, it says, And so it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. Now that is a long work day. I see Moses here as the pastor of a large congregation. Theologians are not clear on how many people came out of the Exodus. Estimates of between one and a half and three million people. That's a large congregation. It says, and the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, what is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. And when they have a difficulty, they come to me and I judge between one and another. And I make known the statutes of God and his laws. So Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you do is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. This passage helped me to align some things from a biblical perspective in my own busy life. There was an old model of ministry where the pastor did it all. I remember our first church, I'd get up at 3.34 in the morning, I'd go out and stoke the fire, and the wood, we had a big old wood furnace in the church, and I would stoke it and get it hot, so by the time people came, it was in the mountains, it was cold, by the time they get there, it was nice and warm. Some mornings, it was hot. We had an infestation of horse-faced flies that would come in there, and they would, they would nest, and when I'd kick up that furnace... All of a sudden, we'd have a whole horde of flies. They would be dropping from the ceiling. So my role was to go in there and clean them off the floor. My role was to take care of the lawn and to take care of going and getting wood for the furnace. My, my job was teaching Sunday school and teaching the adults and teaching Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. Pastor did it all. You know, I enjoyed every bit of that. It really did, but it was not good. My job is not to do ministry. That's your job. My job is to equip you to do your job. Hello? That doesn't mean I don't do ministry. Please understand that. Ephesians 4 says, for God gave gifts to the church. He gave the gifts of of, of of pastors and teachers and evangelists and prophets and apostles, all of these wonderful fivefold gifts that we get caught up in and titles and arrogance. He gave gifts to the church. He gave them as gifts to the church, his church, for the perfecting of the saints that they do the work of ministry. All of us have been called to ministry. Not everybody's been called a pastor, but all of us have been called a minister. All of us have been called to be representatives and ambassadors of Jesus Christ. 
All of us have unique gifts and graces and talents that he's used, he uses in us to impact our world. He really does. But my job, I saw it as to do it all, to lead it all, until God began to show me what his priority really was for my life. And the first thing he showed me was how important prayer is to the work of the kingdom. Exodus 18, verse 19 says, now, listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel. This is Jethro to his, to his father-in-law, to his son-in-law, Moses. I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God. On a Sunday morning, you see me for 35, 40 minutes, maybe an hour. And I stand here this way. But what you don't see is something I learned many years ago. That through the week, I'm not standing here. I'm standing here. I'm standing here representing you before God. I'm praying for my leaders. I'm praying for my family. I'm praying for my kids, my grandkids. I'm praying for my staff. I'm praying for every, every leader in this church. I'm praying for our children, our youth. I'm praying for all of the outreach areas, our men's direction, our women's direction, our backpack program. I'm praying for the influence that you have in our community. I'm praying for you. I'm holding you before the King of Kings. That, to me, is the most, one of the most significant roles that I play as a pastor. God has a wicked sense of humor. He messed up my circadian rhythm many, many years ago because I was raised in an agribusiness where I was awake in the morning having to go down, fire boilers, do whatever we had to do. And you, when you have a dairy, you, you don't sleep much. And it messed up my whole rhythm. And today, it's still messed up. Three, four o'clock, I passed it on. The genetics are deep. And I found something. At that time of day, it's wonderful. I really wish Jesus would let me sleep sometimes. But, but I found that that time of day, there's no phone calls. Nobody's texting me. Well, there are a few <laughs> overseas It's quiet. It's just me and Jesus. It's the sweetest time of the day. It's the time when I can sit in my chair my, in my study and just listen for his whisper. It's the time when I can bring my kids and my, my life and my, my world. Sherry has said for years that the church is my mistress. Yes. And it is. I love it. I love every part of it. There's very little that I don't love about it. Oh, there's some that I don't. <laughs> but I love them. I just don't like them. <laughs> but the kingdom. God gives to me answers. He speaks to me as I bring your needs to him, as I bring the church before him, as I bring our community before him, as I bring our nation before him. Standing before God on behalf of the people was something the Lord taught me many, many, many years ago. And it's been a practice for all these years. I love the way he, he voices that. I love the way that, that he challenges us in that. But while I learned to pray 
for the church and for our community, I also learned a word. It's not a very big word. As a matter of fact, it only has two letters in it. But it's one of the most important words in my vocabulary. It's the word no. You see, I can make more money, but I can't make more time. I can make a lot of things, but I can't make more time. I have to steward my time just as I steward my money. I have to set time aside to pray. I have to make it an appointment to pray. I have to make it a priority to pray because all of the little foxes will come in and spoil the vines if I don't. There will always be an emergency. There will always be a crisis. There will always be something. But I've had to set it a time. I've had to make that as a priority to my life. And so there are times when I say no. There are times when people call, Pastor, can you do this? No. I can't. Not that I don't want to, but there are priorities that I must do. And it's not just because I'm a pastor. I want to be a good husband. Next Saturday, next Saturday, we celebrate 50 years of marriage. To the same people. That's a hundred years combined. I feel old. Fifty years. While I'm saying that, let me share with you something. On September 12th, Wednesday night, we're going to teach a class on Wednesday night called His Needs, Her Needs. And I really recommend, especially our young families, we have child care, we have kids involved, we have, we have youth going. It's a great night for moms and dads, husbands and wives, whether you're single, married, whatever, I really want you to be here. Because we want to add some tools to your tool chest for marriage. Marriage is a great thing. It's a great institution, but then so is the penitentiary. And we would prefer it to be a little more accommodating than that. Amen? And there are some things that we really believe. I, we have found this material. We found it many, many years ago. It's great material. And it really will enhance and help any marriage, any marriage that will put to practice these tools. So we, we're focusing on our families. I pray that you'll listen to that. But, but I'm saying all of that to tell you that we have to set priorities. And no is one of those words that we need to learn in our language so that we, we, we are able to decipher and discern what really is important versus what we're doing. Second thing is to teach. Verse 20 says, and you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. I like alliterations, and I have them in most of my messages. And here I think God likes them too. He says, because it's the way and the work. The way they must walk speaks about their character, and the work they must do speaks about their ministry. We're all called to ministry. But without character, 
we will have none. Character is essential. Whether you're a pastor, whether you're not a pastor, whatever you're involved with, as, as, a, as a husband, as a father, character is essential. I haven't been perfect, but the one thing I've tried to do is whatever I am here, I am at home. I don't want to be different. I don't want to be phony. Hello? And I hope, I hope I've been that way. I hope that most of my life that I've been genuine and authentic. Because, you see, kids have a way of seeing through the phony and the plastic. I've always been kind of gun-shy of pastors that glory to God. <laughs> they scare me. When I see that, I put my hand over my wallet just for the sake of... I don't like, I don't like this phoniness, this, you know, this, this old King James English praying. God is contemporary and up to date. I mean, he knows when somebody says, hey, dude, he understands. I'm not making fun. I'm just telling you that we don't need to be plastic, be authentic, be real, be genuine. I got birthday cards from some of my grandkids and my kids. It's amazing how irreverent they are. I think they learned it from their father. Be real. Somebody asked me years ago, Pastor, what is your, what is your platform? What is your program for, for church growth, for, for reaching the lost? Can I tell you my simple platform? Feed the sheep. You see, if I feed the sheep and they're healthy, healthy sheep reproduce lambs. It's an organic dynamic. If I teach you and you grow because of the teachings that we give you, you'll be healthy. And as a healthy child of God, there will be a life in you that's different than the life outside of you. And it will draw others to you, to the light that's within you. And just as I take time to pray, one of the things that I fundamentally found that's so important to me is that. I don't just find these messages off a, on a book. Well, they are. They're in this book. But there are hours. I, Jeff and, and Lauren and John, when, when they teach and when they preach, I know the hours they spend in prayer. They come in and raid my office of books. <laughs> they do. They come in and they, they ask for insight. They ask and, and they, they share with me what they're learning. And I just love it because I see their eyes light up. And God is revealing stuff to them. And they're growing. It just thrills me to death. Well, not to death, but you know. The point of what I'm trying to share is, that, is, is Moses was understanding he needed to teach them. And that's what I try to do here is to teach you, bring you in. But it's more than just teaching a congregation. It's teaching life principles. It's helping people to recognize that there is, there's more to this thing than just coming to church and singing a song. It's how do I make application of the things that I'm learning so that I can reproduce that and leave legacy within my kids and my grandchildren. That's my heart. That's my hope. It, 
the third thing that, that, that comes out of this, and was one of those things that the Lord showed me early on, was I call it a point, and, and it comes out of the passage, but you'll understand it as we walk through it. Ex- Exodus 18, 21, it says, Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hate, hating covetousness, covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. What he's saying is you invest in those around you that you can raise them up that they can go on and do more. One, you, you know, the word says that one can lead a thousand and one can put, one can lead a thousand, one, how's it, one can, never mind, my brain just froze, it's 70. <laughs> we, can put, we can put hundreds at flight or we can put thousands at flight. When you have people gathering, I can only do so much, but when I can invest in others and I can release them and I can give authority to them, they can do more. My dad taught me life lessons when I was a child. He didn't go and mow the lawn. He made me mow the lawn. He was such a cruel man. (laughs) And the lawnmower didn't work always the way it should. And you would crank, and you would crank, and you would crank, and you would crank, and nothing would happen. And then you would just say words that you shouldn't say. And then your mother would hear them, and you would get your mouth washed out with soap. It was not a good thing. Mowing the lawn was a learning experience of a variety of things. I remember having a difficult time with this stupid lawnmower. My dad came home, and I was cranking, cranking, cranking. He says, let's look at the spark plug. Took it out, cleaned it off, put it back in. He says, hold that plug. Let's see if it's got any spark. (laughs) He was a cruel man. It was a great life lesson. Oh, that's child abuse. No, it's a great life lesson. I learned about shocking experiences. (laughs) It wasn't a bad thing. He believed in me. He entrusted me with things. He gave me responsibilities. He let me fail. He had three partners in his business He went on vacation. I'm 16 years of age. My dad has taught me about profit loss. He's taught me about business plans. He's taught me about all of the dynamics of leading and, and, and doing and understanding a business. And he left me as the manager when he had two partners for one week. Who would do that? You see, he appointed me. He believed in me. He trusted me. He was, a, he was willing to allow me to fail in order to grow. Do we do that with our kids today? Or do we do everything for them? And by doing everything for them, they lose. And we lead them into nothing. Over the years, I've been able to spot leadership in people. It's a gift. And I can see that leadership. I can't always spot character. Because character is something 
unique. We had a lady that molested some children in her care. And she was a part of our daycare program. And as a result of it, we had over 700 families investigated. And it was a horrible thing. And the investigator said, we've never seen anything like this before. There's only two children. And as a woman, she came to you confessing it, and then we had to talk, had to take her to them. Here's the thing that was so amazing to me. Out of all of that dynamic, out of all of that challenge that was there, it hit the press. A lady came to me, one, a lady reporter, and she says, didn't you know? And I looked at her and I said, you know, you're a fine lady. You look very intelligent. You look sharp. You sound articulate. But I can't see your heart. I can't see your soul. Only God can see that. And I can't help be held responsible for what I cannot see. We came out of it. Everything worked out. It was interesting. It was a challenge. It was an experience of my life. I don't dare want to repeat. But what I'm trying to tell you is this, is that leadership is one thing. But leadership without character is a fatal flaw. It takes me to probably the most important of my points this morning. It's important to pray. It's, it's important to teach. It's important to, to believe in others and give them opportunities to grow. But the most important principle to me is this last one. It's to be a good husband a good father, and a good grandfather. And I've listed that as the fourth point, but really, it's the most important point. Somebody asked me one time, how do you prioritize God, family, and ministry? I said, it's simple. My wife's first. My children are second. Well, what about the work of ministry and God? I said, he's always important to me, but my family is the most important thing to me. My family is more important than this church to me. My family is more important than my finances to me. My family is more important than anything in life to me, save Jesus Christ. Please understand, it's Jesus and my wife. It's Jesus and my children. Understand that. But the work of ministry, I've seen ministers lose their families over trying to be successful in ministry. I've seen businessmen lose their families in building an empire, but they lose their own children and they lose their marriage. God gave me a wife. God blessed me with children. And how can I take those gifts in any light manner and hold them at such a point that everything else is crowded over them. 
another car, another home, another vacation will never change, will never take the place, will never, ever, ever satisfy what God has given to me and my family. And any man that thinks otherwise is a fool. Living a foolish life and a selfish life. I've not been the best daddy, but I've been the only daddy they've had. You can talk to my son later. (laughs) Maybe Wednesday. He won't be here. (laughs) Moses had a difficult family life. In Exodus chapter 18, verse 2, it's, it's early in the story that we read as our text. It says, then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back. Moses and Zipporah, he called her Zip for short, <laughs> had gotten into some kind of an argument. And it was no small argument. Kids are crying. She's crying. She goes back home. She misses out on the opening of the Red Sea. She misses out on the plagues. She misses out on on Moses standing before the, the greatest leader of the world and demanding that he release the children of Israel. She missed out on all of that because she wasn't with him. And to hear the story, it's important because it, to me, it's one thing to be a great leader, but, but I don't want to miss out on my wife and my children. I don't think any of us want to do that. In the book of Exodus chapter 4, it says, And Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. He had them with him. In verse 24 and 26, listen to these words. It says, And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Boy, are those frightening words. God was going to kill Moses? How could that be? He's the deliverer. Why would God do such a horrible thing? Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her sons and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he let, he let, now listen to the way it says, So he, capital H, E, so he let him, small case H, him go. So God let Moses go. Then she said, you are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. Why would God plan to take out Moses? You heard me tell you that character is extremely important in leadership. Moses understood the covenant between God and the Jews was a covenant that was sealed by circumcision. And Moses was living one life while preaching another. And because of the contradiction in character, God says, if you don't straighten up, boy, don't make me come down there. 
And that's exactly what he was doing. And so his, his wife is crying, his kids are crying. Well, you would too if you'd just been circumcised. <laughs> By your mother. It'd be embarrassing. You know, think about this. Abraham was given a, a covenant. He says he, he was given the covenant of circumcision as a statement of the salvation of his people. And I can just see Abraham saying to God, circumcision as a sign? God, you gave Noah a rainbow. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I'm not. <laughs> it just strikes me odd. He was reintroducing this this. this Sign this separation, this statement. I guess it comes to this in, in conclusion. Being a leader, being a mentor, being that person, father, mother, being that person that is the influencer. What's the priority? What's the priority? Friends, I'm going to be candid with you. I think for some of us, we need to realign them. I think we need to bring our life and our families, our business plans, our business scheme back to the Father and say, God, what is your plan? Is this really your plan? Is this really your will? I can tell you that in ministry, there have been many moments, opportunities when when we had opportunities to take assignments. I remember one in particular. It was one of those churches that as a young man, I thought, if the Lord, if you would ever open the door to pastor that church, I would just, man, I could just see that. And guess what? He did. And I remember being so conflicted, and we went, my pastor at the time, Pastor Book, was our superintendent, and I called him, and I said, Earl, I don't know what to do. He says, go, go and talk to him. He said, because if you talk to him, you'll know right or wrong. You'll know whether it's will of God or not. If you don't, six months from now, the enemy will come to you, and he will haunt you with an indecisive statement. So we went. We hadn't been in that room 10 minutes. We knew the will of God. And the biggest factor of the will of God for our lives at that time was we had a son and a daughter that were involved in an incredibly powerful youth ministry. And to move them out of that at that point in their life, we felt would be detrimental to their lives. It wasn't a hard one to turn down. Because God had something so much greater for our kids. You see, sometimes you have to say no because the priority isn't right. It doesn't fit where your children are at the moment. It doesn't fit where your family is at the moment. You have to say no because it doesn't fit where God is at the moment. But when we listen to his will, listen to his voice, understand that prayer is important, really important. Teaching is really important. Giving opportunity is really important. But being a good father mother, grandfather, grandmother. 
That's the most important. Can you say amen this morning? Just the the muddled meanderings of a middle-aged mind. Well, 70, I plan to live to 140. What do you figure? (laughs) Do you catch the point this morning? Would you stand with me? Father, I thank you for your blessings. I thank you for your kids. I thank you for your, your children. I thank you for your family. I thank you for this church. I thank you, Father, for the opportunity we have together to love a whole other generation. I'm so excited about these kids that are coming in and the young families that are coming in. I'm so excited about... Th- this brand new year that you're giving us in school and the opportunities that through teaching staff and through the various aspects of application of ministry we have on our campus. I thank you, Father, for for the young men and women in this church and young families in this church. I thank you for every man, woman, and child in this church. Father, you've given to us an incredible opportunity to influence our city to reach people for the kingdom of God. We don't have to stand in this pulpit. More people are going to save, be saved and come to know you out there in the marketplace than, than right here in these altars. Because your people are going to be so well fed, so healthy. They're going to be able to radiate the presence and to be able to articulate the plan of Jesus to people in everyday examples. I'm thankful, Jesus, that you look at us not as perfect specimens, but you see us as willing hearts. I love the way you said to Peter, who slumbered when you asked him to sleep, Pete, to pray with him for one hour. And you said, his spirit is willing, his flesh is weak. And then on resurrection morning, after he had already denied you, you said to Mary, Magdalene, and Johanna, and Mary, the mother of James. Go tell my disciples and Peter. You see us in that same way. We're not perfect. We're imperfect. We're just people. We're just yielded to you. We're just human beings that have a heart for you but struggle in so many ways. And you love us anyway. And for that, we give you praise Father, I pray this morning that every heart, every life in this room will know you as a personal Savior, that every one of us will have made that commitment to serve you with our heart and our soul. And even in our flaws and in our imperfections, though we we struggle, we still have a heart toward you, and we need you. This morning, how many of you would say, Pastor, I, I just need to get a little closer to Jesus I just need to get a little closer to Jesus all over this room. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All over this room. Maybe some of maybe never, ever invited him into your life. It's as simple as simply saying, Jesus, forgive me. Help me. I need you. I yield my life to you. That's simple. But it only begins the process. And then live for him. Would you all pray a simple prayer with me this morning? I'll, I'm going to form the words. You make them your own. 
pray it with me. Lord Jesus, I need you. I love you. And I'm thankful that you believe in me, that you trust me, that you want the best for me. I ask for your help in this world that I live, that I can live for you. I need you. I call upon you to help me right now. In Jesus' name. Turn to somebody and say, I want to be the best me that I can through Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you lift your hands for the blessing this morning? Lord Jesus, I speak your blessing over your church, over your people, that, Father, you will bless them. You will keep them. You will guide them. You will encourage them. You'll go before them, stand beside them, be beneath them, overshadow them. Keep your hand upon them. Protect them and give them peace and strength in and all ways. Bless their lives. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody can say praise the Lord. Turn and hug somebody this morning. Let them know you're glad they're here. Would you do it? Amen.